The following is read by me, Jeff Epstein, Citizens Media TV on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and People Conversations on SoundCloud. A reading of the paper, The High Costs of UBI Are Not Financial, They Are Real, written by Pavlina R. Cherneva, Bard College Research Scholar at the Levy Economics Institute, Annandale-on-Hudson, New York. This was published online on the 17th of December in 2018 on Eastern Economic Journal. The paper is in response to Colander's Economics with Attitude. When considering the viability of universal basic income, UBI, and other large-scale federal programs, we would do well to look at the real rather than financial costs. This shift in perspective is useful because as the Federal Reserve has reminded us time and again, taxes are not a funding operation for the federal government. In an important piece titled Taxes for Revenue are Obsolete, New York Federal Reserve Chairman Rummel in 1946 stressed that the crucial consideration when imposing taxes is their social and economic consequences, not their funding capacity. While tax revenue ensures the solvency of state and local governments, this is not true for the federal government, whose spending is operationally unconstrained due to the elimination of currency convertibility and advances in central bank management. Other Federal Reserve papers and statements corroborate this analysis, such as by Bernanke in 2002 and 2009 and Folly in Juvenile in 2011. The real impact of taxes on the economy is their anti-inflationary income distribution and incentive effect. As a practical matter, taxation and spending are two independently determined operations. For example, spending on UBI would vary with changes in demographics if the program were permanent and unconditional. Tax collection would vary with changes in aggregate income and output and other underlying economic conditions, which in turn would be affected by the structure of the tax system as Collinger points out. Once spending is appropriated through the budgeting process, Federal Reserve and Treasury operations ensure that all payments clear and government checks do not bounce, as is the case with other federal programs. As a practical matter, there is no way of matching tax collection with expenditures. If we attempted to do that via a trust fund mechanism, for example, as Roosevelt did with Social Security for political expediency, the fund would act as a recording device, not an actual storage of purchasing power. The inflow of tax revenue into the fund would not be an indicator of the program's solvency. This was well explained by Federal Reserve Chairman Greenspan in a congressional testimony on Social Security in 2005. Quote, I wouldn't say that the program is insecure in the sense that there is nothing to prevent the federal government from creating as much money as it wants and paying it to somebody. The question is, how do you set up a system which assures that the real assets are created which those benefits are employed to purchase? Here we confront the key, perhaps fundamental, concern with such large-scale government programs, namely, does the structure of the economy produce the needed real goods and services that those UBI benefits are destined to purchase? In other words, even if UBI does not threaten solvency, 
Is the enormous expenditure on the program warranted? What are the real macroeconomic effects of passing UBI, and will it ensure a minimum standard of living for all? In my view, the answer to these questions is no, due to some perverse and unintended program effects. Since collecting taxes is a separate operation from spending, it is appropriate to consider gross, rather than net, expenditures first. I consider the impact of taxes and other reductions in government expenditure below. If the program is implemented as a, quote, add-on, rather than a replacement for existing government programs, spending on UBI could be as high as 20 to 35 percent of GDP annually, Cherneva, 2017. UBI would be an enormous fiscal impulse by any measure. The worry is not that it would compromise the government's budget, but that the expenditure represents vast purchasing power and command over real resources, equivalent to a fifth or more of the U.S. economy. Would the economy produce the needed additional output to satisfy this new demand? If not, how would the resulting real resources be distributed and priced in order to soak up the additional purchasing power? If output does not adjust sufficiently, the program would prove to be inflationary. Worse, according to UBI advocates, we should expect a sizable fall in labor supply one of the presumed benefits of the grant is that it empowers the recipients to refuse poorly paid or otherwise bad jobs. If UBI advocates, such as Standing 2011, are correct and there is a mass exodus from precarious working arrangements, the inflationary effect of the grant would be exacerbated. Once the value of the grant drops, recipients at the bottom of the income distribution will be once again compelled to work. And if the economy continues to provide poorly paid and precarious work arrangement, they will not be liberated from their bad jobs. Worse still, the grant may accelerate the uberization of jobs since it represents a large subsidy to firms. Why should an employer offer a living wage if the government has promised to do so via UBI? If we were to adopt David Collender's proposed tax schema, the negative labor supply effect would be even larger because, as he points out,